What's good, everybody? Welcome back to the All Things Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Vic Lopez, as always. And this was supposed to be part two of a two-part podcast over the weekend. And then I was hit with some random allergy outbursts where I was literally sneezing all day long until basically falling asleep. And I was probably even sneezing in my dreams. It was so bad. Um, I'm actually still allergic and I don't even know how this happened. I thought it was because of the dairy. Um, so usually if I eat too much dairy, I don't feel the effects right away. It's like the next day I'm just sneezing and sneezing and I'm super congested and it's just really hard to breathe. And you know, I guess it just depends on how much dairy I have. But anyways, that's besides the point. The point is what I'm going to be doing on this one instead is I'm going to be doing, uh, that three game Celtics losing streak. Uh, that they went through up until they beat Portland, where they just smacked the Trailblazers around. Uh, But yeah, I'm going to start this one with the game that happened last week, Friday, where the Celtics lose to the Brooklyn Nets and their new potential star, Mikhail Bridges, right? So side note about that. I don't remember ever giving this take on the pod, but I do know I've told people in my basketball circles that, that when Mikhail Bridges was traded, that he could be a guy to build around. And if I did not say that live on a pod, it's on here now. This guy recorded more 30-point games with the Nets than he did in his entire career with the Phoenix Suns. And that's mostly because of the fact that, you know, the pecking order in Phoenix was the way that it was, right? Like, McHill was treated like a 3 and D wing player, right? More of just like a swing-swing. If you're open, take it. If there's a lane, you can attack it. Uh, But mainly, you know, he was just their best defender, right? And you would see some flashes if you watch some Suns basketball. You definitely saw some flashes of his potential. Um, and he's not only an elite defender because of his height at 6'6 with a 7'1 wingspan, but also potentially unguardable, right? Offensive player because of those physical tools. So, you know, Mikhail Bridges has an awesomely smooth game too. Like, it, nothing feels forced. He doesn't really take... Uh, I don't know. It, it just looks like everything that he does is is just part of his game and some people might think it's just a burst like like most people will argue that he's just on a bad team and he has to put up shots which I agree with that to a certain extent but then people cling to that mindset as a safe way of just not watching a bad team play right because I understand people not wanting to watch the Brooklyn Nets they're not exactly the most fun team to watch uh, but people cling to those mindsets as just a safe way of not watching the teams play and using that usually correct statement to help their argument, right? But if you actually watch the Nets, uh, Mikhail's giving it to some of the better defensive teams in the league and doing so at a consistent rate, which means something to me. And maybe I'm just overly optimistic and it is just a flash in the pan. I mean, it could be, uh, but this is one hell of a flash in the pan, right? Because we're seeing it night in and night out from Mikhail Bridges. So this is about the Celtics though and how rough, their last stretch of games had been before that Portland game. Uh, They start this game against Brooklyn in a disrespectful way, right? Like towards the Brooklyn Nets. So they go up 21 to five with like five minutes left in the first quarter, even at one point being up 42 to 18 in the second. So this was looking like a boring game, right? Now I'm not saying I did not watch this game live. Um, Actually, I tuned in a little bit to it, but I actually ended up watching it because I wanted to watch these games uh, one after the other uh, to kind of break down how exactly this is happening, that they've blown those three games almost in a similar way. 
and a boring game that quickly turns into a disaster, much like the next two I'm going to talk about. Uh, but after a great start, the Celtics take their foot off the gas, right? Which is what you always see when teams have a big lead, right? They just start being more careless with the ball. Brooklyn just continues to stay focused, turning defense into offense, right? Capitalizing on, on the carelessness by the Celtics. They get a 10-0 run. Uh, a couple of possessions later, all of a sudden, it's Celtics 64, Nets 55 to start the third quarter, which is still a relatively comfortable lead for the Celtics, especially playing an inferior team. But you blink, and all of a sudden, the Nets are up 84 to 80, and it's looking like the better basketball team on both ends, uh, the Brooklyn Nets do, right? All of a sudden, you know, ball swinging around. Mikhail's looking like a mini Kevin Durant, right? Hitting pull-up mid-range jumpers. He's knocking down catch-and-shoot threes. He's doing his thing on defense. They're playing great motion offense between the Nets and just making the, the, the Celtics defense look like an AAU team, you know? Uh, and so much miscommunication between the Celtics. Like, so often, after a couple of swings around the perimeter, like just a couple of passes moving the ball for the Nets, uh, the Celtics, multiple Celtics closing out on the same offensive player at the same time. And it was just the Nets ball movement confusing the Celtics, right? Like they just looked out of whack. Um, and once you get into a close game, it doesn't matter what team you're playing in the closing moments of a tight game because the gap between two teams is much smaller because the room for error gets thinner and thinner, right? So any team can capitalize on any mistake right? Whether it be a lucky rebound or a lucky made shot or, or, or a mistake, right? Like a turnover that get, that gives you a lead. And, you know, when you're the better team, you just have to put a team out early, right? Maintain that lead, hold that lead because you lose all the momentum letting a team get back like this. And then all of a sudden you're in a back and forth game with a team that you were up 20, 30 points on, right? Like it's just, I don't know, you know, they lose the game 115 to 105 to the Brooklyn Nets and it's a it's complete choke mode but also you know they decided to get interested in this game when it was already too late and at that point you just chuck it up right it's it's one of those bad regular season losses right if, if you're if you're if you're on that if you're watching the game that day or if you're one of the Celtics players or the or the franchise or whatever it is they're probably just chalking it up like, okay, we really blew that one. Whatever. Bad regular season loss on to the next one, right? Which brings us to the Celtics-Knicks on Sunday, which was interesting because there's no Jalen Brunson. And my favorite Knicks player gets a start at point guard, and that's Emmanuel Quickly, who I've talked about many times on the pod, on older pods. Uh, you know, Knicks go into this game. They had an eight-game win streak before playing the Celtics and just gunning for that Cavs fourth seed, right, for potential home court advantage in the playoffs. And so the game starts, and the very first Knicks possession, fresh from the tip-off, is a deep pull-up three. That's just cash money uh, from Emmanuel Quickly and a sign of a great night to come for Emmanuel Quickly. So, you know, the low-key Mitchell Robinson problem that, that he was causing for the Celtics, I noticed the same problem that I'll highlight later uh, when I talk about Cavs Celtics. But, it, you know, it was a great effort from the Celtics all game long against these Knicks. And it's something that you expect to see when the team they're playing against is demanding their full attention, right? Like, like the Knicks are a good team now, right? They're picking up steam. They have a ton of momentum. They look awesome. Uh, you know, people are already putting them as like a, a threat in the playoffs, a team that can really uh, destroy your playoff hopes. They can upset a team. Uh, some people are putting them 
past the second round saying that they can potentially get to a conference finals. I think that's a little insane. I think that's a little, you know, I think people are a little too excited about this team's potential at this point in time, right? Uh, and I'll get into that in a little bit. But, you know, Knicks, they play hard night in and night out. They scrap for loose balls. They play no-nonsense two-way basketball for the most part. And that's because of Tom Thibodeau, obviously. You know, the Knicks, very Miami Heat-like in the sense of playing teams, dragging them in the mud, right? Like, you're, you're playing a, a scrappy game against the Knicks, much like the Miami Heat like to do. Uh, with their opponents so you know and, and the sad part about this game is the Celtics had multiple chances to win this game right despite a huge game from Julius Randle despite a big game from uh, from RJ Barrett and a monster career night uh, for Emmanuel quickly where he dropped 38 points uh, you know Mitchell Robinson all game long just killed the Celtics with his energy right just rebound after rebound second chance possessions tip-ins putbacks uh, you know just giving them headaches down low and I would have loved to see Robert Williams play in this matchup because he obviously provides that rim protection and second chance points that he obviously provides for the Celtics and he erases a ton of perimeter defensive mistakes because if they do happen to get by some Celtics players some guards some wings Robert Williams is right there waiting for the mistake to be erased right like whether he's altering a shot or he's blocking it or 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 maybe he just alters the shot and then he just seals the defensive possession right he ends that with a rebound so you know definitely that was a huge problem and in my opinion that's really kind of what lost them the game even though um you there are some other moments in the games that you kind of question the celtics decision making at times but you know, the game, it, it's just, you know, it goes into double overtime, which plays into the hands of a Tom Thibodeau coach team because one thing Tibbs makes sure of with his teams, it's conditioning. Like the Knicks look just as solid in both overtimes as they did in the beginning of the game. And the Celtics kept up throughout, right? Like they even had two chances to win this game. Uh, in the first overtime, Tatum gets to the rim. And, you know, off some contact, right? There's a couple of bumps here and there. And the layup falls just short. And that's what got to double overtime. Uh, the Knicks had a 131 to 129 lead with the Celtics. And it gave the Celtics that second chance to win the game. And Tatum found Horford in the corner who was semi-open, but kind of had to rush his shot because Mitchell Robinson's closing out on him. And it almost went in, right? Like it hit rim, it, it came back down, but no good. And the Celtics or, or the Knicks end up winning this game 131 to 129 in a tough fight in the mud that, you know, the Celtics would rather not be in as they try to go for a deep playoff run, right? Like these kind of games, they really tire you out, um, you know, and then it brings me to the Celtics Cavs game, which was Tuesday night. And, you know, also it's a back to back for the Celtics after playing double overtime with the Knicks, which also means. I did not expect them to beat the Cavs, right? The very next day. So, you know, not only did the Celtics have to turn around the next day and play Cleveland, they had to do it without Jason Tatum, no Al Horford, and no Robert Williams. So much like Mitchell Robinson, but to an even better level, right? Evan Mobley got his chance to smack the Celtics around because obviously no Al Horford, no Robert Williams, say less for Evan Mobley, right? He goes off for 25 points, 17 rebounds, three blocks, right? And to be fair... He did it against washed up Blake Griffin and Mike Muscala. So he did what he was expected to do, right? And Donovan Mitchell, who has the Celtics number, 
dropped another 40 on them, right? And even with all this stuff not looking good for Boston, they had a 50 to 37 lead around the midpoint of the second quarter, and they held on throughout the game. Like, they had a pretty nice lead throughout this entire game. And in the back of your head, you're thinking, okay, there's always a way for Boston to blow it, <laughs> right? Um, you know, there's it just, it just happens to be something that you see over and over. So the fourth quarter comes along, and they, they have a, a relatively comfortable 96 to 87 lead. And there's like six minutes left in the fourth quarter. They even had a lead of 102 to 93 with three minutes and 46 seconds left in the game that I took note of. Um, but over and over, you know, open three after open three for the Cavs, bad Celtics communication, scrambling around, um, you know, with the ball movement from the Cavs also being a factor. Little by little, you start to kind of see what teams are doing against the Celtics. If the Celtics, who are relatively undersized, especially when you're playing against Evan Mobley and Jared Allen, you know, those like a Mitchell Robinson for the Knicks, teams like that, you know, that have like a, like a Joel Embiid and things like that. These teams really cause problems because the Celtics have to help each other. They're scrambling to help each other. Then they have to recover and close out on shooters. If you close out too hard, the shooter's going to put the ball down and attack. Now that defender's beat. And, and, you know, you kind of, you really mess with the Celtics in that sense, you know. And uh, like I said, open threes for the Cavs. Donovan Mitchell goes into God mode. Um, He got fouled on a crazy layup attempt. He makes both free throws, ties the game at 109. 109. Peyton Pritchard goes full court but misses his layup on the last attempt to try to win the game for the Celtics. And this is where the tragedy starts. Foul is called on the Cavs, right? Which puts Grant Williams on the free throw line. It's 109 to 109. There's 0.8 seconds left. And all you have to do is make one, right? All you have to do is make one. Because regardless, even if you do make both free throws, uh, you're only up two. So if they do throw the full court heave, right? Like the miracle point from, from full court range, uh, you're going to lose the game anyway. So, you know, whether you make one or two doesn't matter, but you do need to just make one. And on the camera, you could see Grant Williams telling Donovan Mitchell that he's making both, <laughs> right? Like he's he's letting him know I'm making both of these, you know? And, and I got a text from Mario and I don't know he was he was semi kind of joking but I think he he was he meant it you know that he was saying that Grant's gonna blow both of those uh free throws and I was like no way you know this is a dude that's you know in the 80s of of free throw shooting percentage and the game is tied so you know the pressure obviously of going to OT is one thing um but he also has two free throw attempts and I just didn't see him blowing them and of course he blew them and game goes to overtime, which is a disaster for the Celtics, who just finished playing double OT against the Knicks. Now you have to do it all over again against a rested Cavs team, and you're also down your key players. So Donovan Mitchell had an insane poster dunk in OT on Mike Muscala. You have Lamar Stevens getting bucket after bucket in OT. Celtics just couldn't grab rebounds down the stretch, um, which makes sense, obviously. You don't have Robert Williams or Al Horford. You're playing against two towers out there, uh, you know, so they, they were just exhausted and, and they even looked annoyed that they were playing in this overtime game. So games end, the game ends in another blown one, right, uh, which makes it three losses in a row uh, in a game that they had control of, right? All three of those games, they were relatively in control and they were all blown in the fourth quarter. So, you know, social media currently having a party 
about the Celtics blowing the games and people calling them pretenders and not contenders and people saying they're going to fold when it matters most. You have a Boston Celtics diehard fan like Bill Simmons uh, starting to throw out concerns about Joe Masula and the Celtics being inconsistent. Uh, but let me calm the storm with some points I don't see people making enough. Okay, they lost to the Cel- they lost to the Knicks in double OT. It happens, right? Like the Celtics played really well. They didn't have Robert Williams, who would have negated a ton of Mitchell Robinson's production, and they win that game if they had Robert Williams. Um, you know, they played the Cavs on a back to back with three starters out, and it still took OT for the Cavs at full strength to beat the Knicks or the Celtics. So, you know, that's a good sign in my opinion, right? If any of these was the true bad loss. It's the Brooklyn Nets one from last week Friday because they were up a ton against an inferior team and they were at home. So other than that, I don't see why people are panicking like the Celtics are done, right? Like the only team I'm afraid of if I'm the Celtics is the Milwaukee Bucks. As good as the Knicks are, I am not afraid of them if I'm the Celtics. Why? Because the Celtics have every answer the Knicks won't match with, right? Like the Knicks can't keep up with a good shooting night. Yes, they can get hot sometimes, but you're really going to count on R.J. Barrett's shooting? You're really going to count on Julius Randle? You know, yes, he's been hot recently, but you know what happens sometimes. This guy takes bad shots. Guy gets a little too hard into ISO mode on his own island. Uh, just bad shot attempt. He, he dominates the ball a ton. You know, Jalen Brunson, you can argue he'll, he'll man the fort, right? Like, he will keep everything afloat, and he'll make sure the ball is moving, and he'll take control of the offense but like I said um the Knicks I don't know you know they they haven't played true meaningful basketball together as a unit in the amount Boston has and that means a lot especially in the playoffs so bottom line is the Celtics have the better team top to bottom when you compare them against the Knicks and can the Knicks win one maybe two games in a playoff series against the Celtics sure like yeah I can definitely see that but but afraid of the Knicks no Okay, the Miami Heat are another team. Yes, they're dangerous in a playoff series because they're well coached like the Knicks, but the Heat have played more meaningful basketball than the Knicks. So I do understand the fear and the Heat semi have the Celtics number. But again, the Celtics are way better top to bottom. So if the Heat win that series, it's an upset. And I don't care what you say, if you're a Heat fan, whatever, it's an upset if the Heat beat the Celtics. And the Heat can't keep up offensively. And if their defense isn't solid enough, the, the series is over for the Heat, you know? So so there's that, right? Like, like enough of that, right? Like the fear of this and that. You are the better team. You've been the best team in basketball for majority of the season. Obviously, you know, you have the Denver Nuggets out there in the Western Conference. But in the Eastern Conference, the Celtics had been the best for a very long time. And they are the the conference finals uh, champions. Not that it means much, but you know, they do have that under their belt. They went to the finals last season. So this is the favorite of the Eastern Conference, you know, not named the Milwaukee Bucks. So, you know, am I scared of Philadelphia? No, I'm not scared of a team that has their two best players unable to run up and down in Embiid and Harden. Like, yes, Embiid is a problem for the Celtics, 100%. But let's not act like the Sixers have the offensive power to keep up with the Celtics shooting. And they also don't have the athleticism to keep up with the Celtics. Uh, When the Sixers turn the ball over, majority of the time it turns into three on five. Because Embiid and Harden, they're jogging back. They don't, they give a ton of free transition buckets. And also the fact that Embiid and Harden are never as good as the regular season. And 
and you're going to ignore that. I mean, that's another factor for me. Uh, the Cavs. Am I scared of the Cavs if I'm the Celtics? I'd say no, because Garland and Mobley, yes, they're huge factors on the team, but they haven't played enough meaningful basketball, right? Like, yes, they're good, and I think they'll have really good moments in a playoff series. I think they'll be fine, but the playoffs are a different atmosphere. I don't think the Cavs are ready for the playoff smoke just yet. You know, uh, that's not to say they won't play well. I, I just value the team that's been there way more times than the other. The Celtics have unfinished business, and I just don't see them getting eliminated before the conference finals. It would be devastating to see them not even reach the conference finals. So if any year was the was the year to win it for Boston, it's this one, right? Like you're likely not going to see the Warriors in the finals. Who knows what's going on with KD's injury? By the way, that was, you know, the most random injury in the middle of a warm-up um so you know that health question with the suns the denver nuggets can't really run up and down with us with the celtics in a game yes they've beaten the celtics before but i feel like the celtics have what you need to beat the denver nuggets you know these are guys that can score in isolation they can kill you with the threes they can attack the basket they're athletic they kill drop coverage centers that's what the denver nuggets have a drop coverage center in Jokic. the only threat to these celtics is the bucks for me you know, and that's where I'll leave it. But to say that 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 um that that you're scared of any of these teams in the Eastern Conference, I would say like, yes, you respect those teams. I'm not saying take them lightly and they're not gonna beat you, but to be afraid of them, I think that's just I think that's not the right mentality. Like, this is a great Celtics team, and if they lose, it's an upset, unless it's the Milwaukee Bucks. And that's just how I see it. You know, I don't trust Harden. I don't trust Embiid in the playoffs. Um, do I trust the Heat? I trust the Heat more than I would trust Philly, to be honest with you. So, you know, in order of that, like the respect factor, like the fear factor, I would say it's the Bucks, And I guess then the Miami Heat, right? Like everything else, I don't know. You know, I just, I just don't see it. I'm not afraid of it. Uh, but that's going to do it for this episode. The next episode is going to be, I'm going to be talking about Pau Gasol and how underrated he is as a power forward all time. Uh, he just had his jersey retired for the Lakers, uh, which happened uh, a, a few nights ago or maybe last night. I don't even remember. I've been so occupied with the stupid allergy situation, but um, I want to talk about him on the next episode. It's going to be a pretty quick one, but that's going to do it for this one. This is the All Things Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Vic Lopez, as always, and I'll catch you guys on the next one. <laughs>